We enter into this time and place to join our hearts and minds together. What is it that we come here seeking? Many things, no doubt. Too many to name them all. Yet it's likely that some common longings draw us to be with one another. To remember what is most important in life. To be challenged to live more truly, deeply. To live with integrity and kindness, with hope and love. To feel the company of those who seek a common path. To be renewed in our faith in the promise of this life. To be strengthened and to find the courage to do what we must do day after day. Even if your longings are different than these, you are welcome here. You are welcome in your struggle and your joy to be within this circle of companions. We gather here. It is good to be together. So good morning everyone and welcome to Essex Church. Welcome to this gathered community of spiritual and religious seekers drawn together from near and far, here in person and some listening later on via the podcast. All of us together forming this community known as Kensington Unitarians. If you're here for the first time today, a special welcome to you. Please stay after the service for tea and biscuits and conversation. I hope you find something in this hour that speaks to your condition. And if you're a regular, thank you for all you do to welcome all who come. London can be a lonely place, as we'll be exploring today. And your warm hospitality here makes a real difference. Each one of us plays a part in co-creating this community for comfort and challenge, for connection with that which lies within us and beyond. So whoever you are, however you are, whatever state you woke up in this morning, you're welcome as you are. Thank you for choosing to make this hour sacred. Today is the second Sunday in Advent, so we'll be lighting two candles on our Advent wreath. And as is our custom all year round, we'll also be lighting our chalice flame. This is the symbol which connects us with Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists the world over. And it reminds us of our proud and historic liberal religious heritage. Let the lighting of these candles be a prayer of hope for our world. Hope for more light in a world where there is too much darkness. Hope for understanding between all people on our planet. Hope for unity in a world of divisiveness. Hope for comfort and healing in a world with too much pain and suffering. Hope for human warmth in a world that so often seems cold-hearted. Hope for peace, peace in our hearts and peace in our world. Let us illuminate the dark places, filling them with light, candle by candle. In the darkness we light a candle of hope, in pain we light a candle of forgiveness, in loneliness we light a candle of warmth, in gratitude we light a candle of thanks, in wonder we light a candle of praise. So may our separate lights become one in this hour, that we may be nourished by its glow and reminded of our essential unity.
perhaps let's take a moment first of all to get ourselves into the right state of body and mind to pray. Perhaps put down anything you don't need to be holding or fiddling with for the next few minutes. And be fully present in this time and place with ourselves, with each other and that which is larger than us. I invite you to relax into this time of collective prayerfulness as we take the opportunity to reflect on our lives. Spirit of life, God of all love, known by many names and in many ways. Our words often fail us, our minds fail us, when we ponder the enormity, diversity, complexity, wonder and beauty of this universe and our world. And yet we sense more than know that our lives are part of a larger life, that we are connected with everyone and everything in one interdependent web of being and that there is something both imminent and transcendent that nurtures and sustains our lives and life itself. Something that calls us and all life to greater wholeness and harmony. We give thanks this morning for all the gifts and blessings of life. For this day, for the beauty and wonder and mystery for our family and friends, for health and work, for opportunities to learn and love and grow, for the love and support of others in times of illness and despair. But we remember too that others here in this room, in this city and all around the world live in poverty, hunger, fear, illness, violence, insecurity and isolation. Let us pray particularly today for those who are lonely, some of whom are shut away in solitude and some of whom are in our midst this morning. Those who feel alone and companionless, those who want to share their lives but can't, those who long for fellowship and human warmth but are denied. Let us pray for the perception to recognise the lonely, the sensitivity to respect their boundaries and their pain, the love to include them in our lives and ours in theirs if that is what they want. But let us pray for the awareness to recognise and acknowledge our own loneliness too if that's how life is for us right now. And the courage to reach out to others if that is what we need. And should we have deepened another's loneliness through unkindness, thoughtlessness or coldness of heart, may we turn again towards them with openness and a new resolve. May we live with greater compassion and care for ourselves, for others and creation. May we touch each other more deeply, hear each other more clearly, and see each other's joys and sorrows as our own. May we strive to be and become more than we are, more loving, more forgiving, more kind, more honest and open, more connected and whole. 
And in a few moments of shared silence and stillness, may our hearts speak silently all the prayers of our lives. Our soul's greatest joys and regrets, our triumphs and failures, our sorrows and fears, our disappointments and losses, our doubts and our questions, our hopes and our dreams. As this short time of prayer comes to a close, we offer up our joys and concerns, our hopes and our fears, our beauty and our brokenness, and call on you for insight, healing and renewal. As we look forward to the coming week, help us to live well each day and be our best selves, using our unique gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen. If I were asked by Victoria Safford, if I were asked to confess my faith or my beliefs out loud, and I was scrambling for some place to begin, I would start in the desert, in the lonesome valley, and say that first of all, and ultimately, we are alone. The only certainty is mystery. We are alone, and because we are alone, it is the chance connections, both chosen and involuntary, that matter most of all, and ultimately help and heal and hold us. We are alone, yet intricately bound inextricably connected to soil and stream and forest, to sun and corn and melting snow. We are alone, yet bound by stories we cannot get out of. To ancestors and descendants we will never meet. And all these natural conditions these bonds we did not forge ourselves and yet cannot deny are the strands of a theology, the seeds of a faith, the beginning of religion, of binding all things. When I say God, and sometimes I do, because sometimes there is no other metaphor, no other symbol, no other poetry, no other offering. When I say God, I mean that place of meeting, that place where solitudes join. The space between my hand and that dogwood, the space where the tiny feet of the ant brush the dry dirt beneath her, the space between Mercury and Venus, between electrons, which we unblinkingly believe in without seeing. God is the space in between, the bridge between solitudes, the ground where we meet, you and I, or any two, 
by grace. If I were asked, I'd say that all of us, together, are alone. And the emptiness between us is waiting to be filled. Sufficiency by Elizabeth Tarbox. There is a limit to how much awe I can feel, even when I'm standing on a beach at dawn with all that religion means to me rolled out before my wandering eyes. There is a limit to my acquisitiveness. I have more than enough stuff now. I have all the things I could possibly want to make my life comfortable. I have plenty of belongings. Thank you. But love, oh God, there is no limit to my longing for love. Love is so elusive and so precious and doesn't follow any rules. I can't make people love me or keep their love once I have it or invest it in the bond market and draw on the interest. I can't catch love in a bottle or, and look at it in the afternoon when I'm lonely. I can't get love on demand with a bank card. Knowing that love is not a limited resource, not an endangered species, doesn't help at all. What does it matter if there is a vast ocean of love out there if I'm not able to immerse myself in it? If I'm locked up in here without a drop of that ocean's moisture to bless me? Here's what I can do. I can be open to the possibility of love. I can recognize love when it's offered. I can be vulnerable, knowing that those who dare not risk giving are not able to receive. I can admit that being loved is an exercise in letting go, in surrendering control, in being humbly grateful for what is given. I can accept love and let even the smallest amount of it grow in me and shine out of me. I can say at last, the love that you give me is very good, and it is enough.
To take us into a time of meditation now, I'm going to invite you, if you wish, to join in with the responsive reading that's in the centre of your little hymn sheet. These words are by Deborah Falk and is titled A Litany of Comfort for Blue Christmas. Part of the reason for choosing today's theme of loneliness was this realisation that for many of us there can be quite a gap that exists between the jolly images of the festive season that are everywhere right now and the reality of our actual lives. So this responsive reading allows us to acknowledge many aspects of life that people might be struggling with right now. After each section there's an invitation for you to respond by speaking the refrain that's printed in bold affirming that there is some comfort in naming these difficult feelings, these difficult situations, and some peace to be found in coming together in community here. After the reading, we'll have a few minutes of silent meditation and shared stillness. As ever, feel free to use that time to think your own thoughts, to meditate in your own way, and I'll sound the bell after those few minutes to bring that time of meditation to a close. All around us are bright lights and merry messages, yet in our heart not all is joyful. There is grief with the loss of relationships, those we love no longer with us because of death, those we have loved who are estranged from us, those we love yet experience a diminishment of intimacy. There is grief with the loss and change of relationship, grief bittersweet, for it is a consequence of the presence of love. This season brings forth many feelings. We find comfort in naming these feelings. We find some peace in being together. All around us are bright lights and merry messages, yet in our heart not all is joyful. There may be pain in our bodies. Physical pain as a natural outcome of ageing. Physical pain that presents itself in illness. Pain in the body that forces us to change and imposes limitations. Pain, bittersweet, for physical experience includes both pain and pleasure. And this season brings forth many feelings. We find comfort in naming these feelings. We find some peace in being together. All around us are bright lights and merry messages. Yet in our heart not all is joyful. There may be anger and regret with the memories we hold. Anger with past experiences of hurt or abuse. Regret of our own actions that may have caused hurt to others. Anger that life has not turned out as we imagined. Regret for what we might have said or done. Anger and regret, bittersweet, in presenting the possibility for healing and forgiveness. This season brings forth many feelings. We find comfort in naming these feelings. We find some peace in being together. All around us are bright lights and merry messages, yet in our heart not all is joyful. There may be uncertainty that accompanies transition and change. Uncertainty of what the future may bring with changes. Uncertainty of direction or purpose after retirement or change of vocation. Uncertainty when changing residence by choice or necessity. Uncertainty, bittersweet. For change, a constant in life, lets us know we are alive. And change, along with this season, brings forth many feelings. We find comfort in naming these feelings. We find some peace in being together. 
All around us are bright lights and merry messages, yet in our heart not all is joyful. There may be a sense of hopelessness. Hopelessness in the face of so much violence and suffering. Hopelessness with attempts to heal our aching world and ourselves. Hopelessness in witnessing what we have not managed to accomplish. Hopelessness, bittersweet, for its longing reminds us of our capacity for hope and the human spirit's tenacity and courage that rest deep within each of us as this season brings forth many feelings. We find comfort in naming these feelings. We find some peace in being together. All around us are bright lights and merry messages, yet in our heart not all is joyful. There is loneliness. Loneliness when we find ourselves alone after being long partnered. Loneliness when we are separated from loved ones. Loneliness when we move to a new community and struggle to find our way. Loneliness that never seems filled, even with good company. Loneliness that is an ever-present aching in the heart. Loneliness, bittersweet, for it is felt only when we have known connectedness. And this season brings forth many feelings. We find comfort in naming these feelings. We find some peace in being together. All around us are bright lights and merry messages. Yet in our heart, not all is joyful. We know grief and pain. We know anger and regret. We know hopelessness and loneliness. We know all these feelings. We name them, we live them, for such is the human experience. That love presents us with the possibility of being hurt and with the grief of loss. That connection holds the potential of loneliness and uncertainty. That forgiveness can begin to heal anger and regret. That being alive is a courageous act in which we engage all of our emotions. And this season brings forth many feelings. We find comfort in naming these feelings. We find some peace in being together. So let's put down our papers now, get comfortable in our chairs, and taking that sense of comfort and peace with us perhaps, let's settle into a time of companionable silence now. A couple of months ago, the members of the London Assembly, that is the elected body based at City Hall, whose job it is to scrutinise the work of the London Mayor, 
conduct investigations and make policy recommendations in relation to the way that London is run. The London Assembly agreed a motion on what they called London's loneliness epidemic. They put out a press release as a follow-up and it said this. More than half of Londoners find that the capital is a lonely place to live, according to these new findings. We surveyed Londoners by age, gender and social group on how loneliness impacts them. This follows the government's analysis of the UK as a whole, which found that people living in cities are more likely to feel lonely than those living in other regions. <clears throat> in cities like London, changes in social structures, such as the decline of the number of pubs, as well as the frequency of lifestyle changes, such as house moves, mean loneliness is an issue that's not specific to older people, as is sometimes assumed. In fact, their survey found that those over 65 actually are the least likely to say that London is a lonely place to live and work. Loneliness is linked to a higher risk of early death, cardiovascular issues, poor mental health, inactivity, smoking, risk-taking behaviour and cognitive decline. Even worse, there is an undeniable stigma surrounding loneliness. Research shows that 30% of British people said they would be embarrassed to say that they felt lonely and that can be a leading factor in preventing people coming forward and seeking the help that they need. All that's from the statement put out by the London Assembly just a month ago. So today, in this, the second Sunday in our month, which is themed on scarcity and abundance, we're looking at loneliness. Those of us who were here on Thursday night for Heart and Soul spent some time looking at what we need. And we heard about some current research about how the need for connection with other people is now considered one of the six fundamental human needs alongside food, water, shelter, sleep and novelty. So in this view, loneliness might be thought of as a form of scarcity, in the sense that it's a lack or a deprivation of something that is essential to our well-being, a shortage of something that we might characterise variously as connection, relationship, intimacy, attachment or belonging. Even in a city of near enough nine million people, we can feel lonely. If, if anything, the sheer weight of humanity here can make it feel even more sharp, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. In reading on this subject, I repeatedly came across this certain spiritual attitude, which, if I'm honest, got right up my nose. <laughs> the gist of it is this. We are all one, we are all interconnected, and we are all mutually dependent. Now, I agree with that bit. But it continues that it's all about reframing our perception. So almost implying that if we were properly enlightened, properly spiritual, we wouldn't feel lonely because we'd know that nothing is really separate anyway. Now I'm not saying there's no truth in this, about the underlying nature of things, our essential unity in love, I believe in that. But it can feel a bit insulting, a bit victim-blaming, to say that to someone who is actually in pain and suffering through their loneliness. As Elizabeth Tarbox put it in the beautiful reading we heard from Jennifer earlier, there is no limit to my longing for love. Love is so elusive and precious and doesn't follow any rules. Knowing that love is not a limited resource, that it's not an endangered species, doesn't help at all. What does it matter if there is a vast ocean of love out there if I'm not able to immerse myself in it, if I'm locked up in here without a drop of that ocean's moisture to bless me? I couldn't agree more. So before we do or say anything else this morning, I think we simply need to acknowledge how awful loneliness is for anyone who's in the middle of it. 
and really witness that lonely wail of lament, which often gets suppressed through shame. That's why I picked the really strongly worded quote from Mother Teresa on the front of your order of service this morning. There's someone who's seen suffering. But she said, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest suffering is to feel alone, unwanted, unloved. The greatest suffering is having no one, forgetting what an intimate, truly human relationship is, not knowing what it means to be loved, not having a family or friends. Similarly, in this rather great little book on the philosophy of loneliness by Lars Svensson, there's a quote from the philosopher William James reflecting on how intolerable it would be to live in a world where your existence, your being or non-being, seemed completely irrelevant to everyone else. This is what he said. No more fiendish punishment could be devised were such a thing physically possible than that one should be turned loose in society and remain absolutely unnoticed by all the members thereof. If no one turned round when we entered, answered when we spoke, or minded what we did, but if every person we met cut us dead and acted as if we were non-existing things, a kind of rage and impotent despair would ere long well up in us, from which the cruelest bodily tortures would be a relief. End quote. Less dramatically, though, think of how it is, what a lack it is, not to have significant connections in your life to be without friends or companions with whom you can share, just share mundane moments, talk about nothing in particular, tell of what's happened in your day, all the joys and frustrations, and have them know and care about your story as it is still unfolding, and to feel it matters to someone. In all my reading, I often saw references to the lonely, as if there's a group of people over there somewhere who carry the mark of the lonely and the rest of us are doing all right. Of course, loneliness is an emotion or a state of being which comes to most of us, at least occasionally, though for some it is a more persistent and demoralising thread throughout life. At any given moment, it might seem that there are the haves and the have-nots when it comes to meaningful connection, and perhaps we might become even more aware of that disparity at times like this in the run-up to Christmas, when our culture is awash with images of happy families and domestic bliss which draw attention to what we might lack in comparison to these ideals. Philosophers talk about three different sorts of loneliness. Transient, situational and chronic. Transient loneliness is the sort that might just come upon us at any time for a moment, out in a crowd of thousands or stuck at home alone when everyone else seems to be enjoying themselves. Situational loneliness has some identifiable external cause and tends to last a bit longer. It might come as a result of a bereavement or a breakup. It tends to last for a longer period, maybe months or years after the initial triggering event. And chronic loneliness is that long-term situation that's often related to having insufficient connections and social ties. The reasons for chronic loneliness might be rooted in the self, in some sense, about your personality or ability to make connections and reach out to others. But there's more to it than that. I'm not going to do the victim-blaming thing. There are numerous contextual, political and economic factors which increasingly play a role in creating a climate where many are socially excluded. George Monbiot has written powerfully and moonflingly on how decades of neoliberalism have ushered in what he calls the age of loneliness. Just think back to those now infamous words, there is no such thing as society. Monbiot says at length, Structural changes have been accompanied by a life-denying ideology which enforces and celebrates social isolation. 
The war of every man against every man, competition and individualism, is the religion of our time, justified by a mythology of lone rangers, self-starters, self-made men and women going it alone. For the most social of creatures, who cannot prosper without love, there is no such thing as society, only heroic individualism. Having consumed all else, we start to prey upon ourselves. We have destroyed the essence of humanity, our connectedness. End quote. In a world of job insecurity, short-term or zero-hours contracts, a world where relatively few people can expect to stay put in one place for very long to put down roots, where working hours are often long and antisocial, and shift patterns are such that it's hard to sustain regular social commitments. And where those out of work are hit by the lack of affordable places to meet and make connections, and all those other life constraints that come along with being under financial pressures in a time of austerity. I'm thinking particularly of um, those whose disability living allowances have been cut, limiting their mobility and keeping them isolated. Given all that, the fireworks of the London Assembly are unsurprising. Loneliness and alienation will result. And the Catholic theologian Gerald Arbuckle has written at length about this political aspect of loneliness. He argues that whether or not we personally are feeling lonely at this moment, we have a responsibility to alleviate the conditions which bring about more loneliness for others by working for the common good, seeking truth, fighting prejudice, particularly welcoming the stranger, resisting the culture of individualism and more generally doing what's right by the most marginalised in our society. Whatever the root cause of loneliness for a person, whether it's situational, structural or rooted in the self somehow, it can lead to a vicious cycle that's hard to break out of. The more pressing and desperate our need for connection, the more it can cause others to back away from us. And the more we experience such rejection, the more likely we are to misread social cues and learn a sort of pessimism and give up. Someone who's trying to offer practical tools for people in this situation is an author called Kira Asatrian. She's written this book. The book is better than the title, I would say. It's called Stop Being Lonely. <laughs> to me, that sounds like you're telling off someone who already doesn't need kicking while they're down. She makes the simple but astute point that loneliness is not a lack of people, but a lack of closeness. That's why you can feel lonely in the middle of a crowd or in the middle of a city of nine million people. So this book gives you, approximately, a recipe for closeness. The author says that closeness consists of two aspects, knowing and caring, and at the same time being known and being cared for. It has to go both ways. Both knowing and caring are verbs. They're things you do, they're not states you fall into accidentally. They require intentional action. And the good news is that you can consciously work to build closeness with anybody who's at hand and who is amenable to your overtures. By knowing, she says, she means understanding another person from that person's own perspective. And she offers suggestions on how to have to how to initiate the deeper conversations which make that level of knowing possible. It's not something that comes naturally to everybody. And by caring, she means being able to feel and show that the other person's well-being matters, matters to you. It's not by trying to fix their problems, but by paying attention, noticing, asking how they're doing, checking in. It sounds simple, but it's something we need to pay attention to. 
And if you're stuck in a lonely place, as I certainly have been at times in my life, the practical hints and encouragement in this book might nudge you out of that lonely place. So that's a recommendation from me. And even if you're not in a particularly lonely place right now, the advice on how to cultivate greater closeness in the relationships you already have might be something that's useful to you. There's a lot more in there than I can pass on today. I only have one quibble with it, which I will mention in passing. The author's a bit down on technology. She suggests that technology is a cause of loneliness. But I'd argue that prior, the, prior to being able to engage in knowing and caring for others, as she suggests, you need to be able to have contact with others. And there are plenty of people through no fault of their own who um, are physically isolated, stuck at home, maybe due to illness or disability, neurodiversity or economic factors. And for those people, I would say technology can provide a valuable alternative channel through which to connect with others. That's my only gripe. In a sense, as Victoria Safford said in the reading that we heard from Brian earlier, we are all ultimately alone. But making meaningful connections with ourselves in solitude, with others in community, and with God or something beyond, however we may conceive of it, making these meaningful connections is truly a religious act. As Safford said, when I say God, I mean that place of meeting, that place where solitudes join. God is the space between, the bridge between solitudes, the ground where we meet, you and I, or any two, by grace. All of us together are alone, and the emptiness between us is waiting to be filled. So if you're already blessed with connection and closeness, then treasure it and maintain it. Consider what you might do to nurture and deepen the web of relationships you already have. And if you're not so blessed in this regard, then lament if you need to. Let yourself be sad about it. But think about reaching out too. Think about trying something new to connect and find closeness. Ask for what you need. And perhaps as we each return to our daily lives, every one of us can reflect on the part we might play to help create a less lonely society through the choices we make, both personal and political, in the week to come. May it be so for the greater good of all. Amen. In the words, music and quietness of this hour's worship, we have found connection with each other, with the source of hope at our own being's core, and with the great mystery from which all being flows. So in the week to come, as we return to our daily lives, may we remember this precious sense of connectedness, and know that we leave this sacred place with an inner light, a light to bless us and guide us through whatever the coming week may bring and through all the unknown gifts and challenges of the days to come. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.
Thank you.